This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for What in the World with Paul Seaburn and his sidekick, John Donalo. And it is March already, and the sun is shining here in Cleveland. So, hey, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. There you go. We shouldn't be mad. We shouldn't have right. no reason to be to be mad other than basketball with this kind of weather. Thank you for that great introduction, Karen. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's right. It is. It's What in the World with me, Paul Seaburn, the other host of What in the World, your favorite uh, weird news podcast, real news, sometimes strange, always funny. That's our motto. Um, uh, that wonderful introduction came from Karen Hale, who is the uh, producer, co-host, and media mogul at NewClevelandRadio.net, which is our platform. Uh, and also on the screen somewhere or in your ear is John Danalo, co-host and uh, host of What in the World of Sports with John Danalo. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. Hi, Karen. Uh, as Karen said, it's a beautiful day in Cleveland, sun shining, and uh, it's just a great day. So, uh, again, yeah. a platform for our show. March 2nd, going into the 60s, possibly the 70s in March. We're not going to talk about why that could be. (laughs) (laughs) It might break political. It might break political. We'll let the mainstream media talk about that. We've got better things to talk about. But some of you, those of you who like to listen to us live, probably noticed that we're on at a different time today. Um, And for all of our friends on Facebook, um, uh, you've noticed that I posted a number of uh, uh, scheduling delays uh, uh, until we we're, we're here at eleven o'clock, I think it is on uh, on Thursday. We'll be yep. back to our normal time next week. But I want to thank everybody for your comments and your notes. Uh, when I did mention that we were we were changing the schedules, it, it's nice to know that people are keeping tabs on us and um, looking forward to listening or watching uh, the show on uh, on YouTube. We're also on various other platforms. You can go to newclevelandradio.net and find out all the, the, the places we're at, how to download. Uh, we're free. And while you're at newclevelandradio.net, you can take a look at some of the other great podcasts Karen has available. They're absolutely wonderful. All good, all kind of great, good stuff for the, the uh, for all your needs. And I think a couple of new ones too, right, Karen? Right. But you want, besides it being free, yes. there's no nonsense to it either. It's free. Oh. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't. Um, <laughs> so, and, and for those of you, uh, you you'll notice, uh, if you're not a regular, I, I refer to some pictures. We do have quite a, uh, a number of pictures, depending on the news story. They're always funny. They're always interesting. So um, tune in to us on, on YouTube when you get a chance. Also, uh, yeah, you can you, usually you can just search and find us or go to nuclearradio.net. And finally, I've got a couple of very paranormal stories today. I don't always do the paranormal stuff, uh, but we've got a Bigfoot story and a mermaid story. And uh, if you like that kind of stuff, I am also the editor and head writer at mysteriousuniverse.org. And I talk about all that kind of stuff. I'm, do, I'm working on a story right now about a, uh, a sea monster that the Vikings talked about that was the size of an island and it turns out that it still exists so we may talk about that next week if if the story gets uh gets some good play so we'll find out but anyway 
I mentioned Bigfoot. I've got two Bigfoot stories today. One uh, and some some photos for John, who I know he likes that. Some footprints. Uh, we've got a mermaid story today from Japan. Uh, this is a very interesting story uh, about a real mummified mermaid that actually went under DNA analysis. So we'll find out what they found. Some the world's oldest clam. Jan, John, are you a clam chowder fan? No, I am. And so is my wife. We really enjoy ah. seafood. And um, you could put Manhattan clam chowder or New England clam chowder in front of us. And uh, we're pretty much going to have it. It's uh, yeah, we enjoy okay. our seafood. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe this is a warning because this is this is about the world's oldest clam. I don't think you want to oh, eat. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> we've got some cool 50th anniversaries. 1973 was a big year for a couple of things. And, and I'm going to talk about those. Technological is one and music is the other. You know how much we love music. Um, oh, uh, let's see. I got a whopper of a birthday celebration for my... Those of you who follow me on Facebook, you'll know what, what, what I'm talking about there. More more world records, some more odd news. Uh, John's got a great sport for us this week, and then we'll play everybody's favorite weird news game, Bluff the Co-Host. So let's get right to it uh, with the clam guy, okay? So this is down in Florida. John is going to be vacationing in Florida pretty soon. So, John, you might want to take a look for this. Man in okay. Florida was collecting clams to make chowder. I don't know what kind of chowder he was planning to make, but... He needed a big, bigger pot than he thought he would because he found a 2.6 pound clam. And uh, I just so happened to have a picture of that clam. Let's see uh, what it looks like. There we go. It, it, <laughs> I know. I know that he, he they put the camera right up to the clam, so it looks enormous. But most clams, the, the biggest clams are normally like about a half a pound. So this is five times as big as. The, the normal wow. biggest clam, yeah. And um, uh, he, he saved it, you know, he found it and he said, you know, this is this is too big to eat. I've got to um, show this to somebody. So he 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 kept it in a, in a uh, you know, like a cooler and took it to a biology lab and they figured out that it was 214 years old. 214 wow. years old. It's a stone. I don't know if clams get born or what what exactly how they come into the world, but it was born in the same year as Abraham Lincoln. So so the guy named it Abraham Lincoln. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Something to that. <laughs> yeah. Now he donated it. Um he he do, he donated to to the, the the lab. It's in an aquarium. Um, but they while he but now that he knows how to tell how old these clams are, he starts counting the rings on on other ones. And he found another old one. This one was as old as Keith Richards. So he named that one <laughs> ancient, ancient, almost two hundred fourteen years old. He oh. named that one clam baked. Uh, okay. To relate to to to, to Keith. Um, the um had he made chowder out of it john it would have he would have had the uh, the 214 year old clam he would have had to call it old new england clam chowder um well that would be a truism wouldn't it <laughs> no yeah that's right They're very confusing uh, along with um uh, the uh so i said they found out by counting his rings which is also how they found out how old the, that ringo star is 82 this year um do you 
since we always like to have a musical theme. Do you know any songs about clams, Karen or John, or anybody listening out there? Well, you know, I'm I'm drawing a blank, Paul, I think. I am drawing a blank. blank. Yeah, I don't know any. No? How about Clamalama Ding Dong? Uh, oh no, wait, wait a minute now. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got okay. Well, wait a minute. I got another one. I got another one, then I got a real one. I want to hold your clam uh by the Beatles. Remember uh, that? Yeah, but, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'll make I'm gonna make it up to you. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> out there listening, but don't pull your earbuds out because I've got a real song about a clam, and you are not gonna believe this song, and that's why I got a copy of the album. Uh, cover so you can see it name of the song is do the clam and the the artist who recorded it is none other than elvis Presley. oh my gosh really? <laughs> wow do the clam it was in the movie uh girl happy i think it says okay. on, the, on the, the photo over there uh it was a beach scene it's the funniest thing look it up he's he's on a beach with his band and he starts singing, everybody do the clam. I mean, I got some words for it. The words are hilarious. And all of a sudden, all the kids start coming out of the, from behind the bushes on the beach. And they're singing and, uh, and playing the bago. So here, <laughs> the words, the lyrics are, are precious. Hey, everybody, gather round. Listen to that bongo sound. Grab the first one in your reach. Now we're going to shake the beach. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. Do the clam, do the clam. Grab your barefoot baby by the hand. Turn and tease, hug and squeeze. Dig right in and do the clam. <laughs> Elvis Presley. Uh, I don't think he wrote that song. I'm sure someone wrote it for him. Uh, wow, I had no knowledge of that song or that he was in that movie, Curl Happy. I mean, obviously, he was a girl happy, right? But, yeah. It gets better. It, that song actually reached number 21 on the Billboard Hot Charts. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, 1965 was the, the year the movie came out, the year the song came out, Girl Happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 just, I just love it. Okay, speaking of music, um, I got an email from a regular listener of ours. I'm not going to mention their name. Uh, they, they had a complaint, only complaint, uh, after hours and hours of listening to our podcast, and you know, everybody likes to go back and listen over and over and over again, because we're so funny. Uh, the, the, this, this particular listener said, all of a sudden, there was a lunatic in their head. The lunatic is in their head. What song does that come from, John? You know, I'm going to say it's a Pink Floyd song, I think. A Pink Floyd song, that's right. But uh, what's it? What's the name of the I'm song? The I'm trying to think of the name. Um, I'm going to wager. I'm wagering my 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 uh, betting money here that you're going to get this one wrong. Uh, wait, wait. Give me a moment. Um, you know the name of the album, the one with the with the prism with the. Uh, oh yeah, album. it's uh, on the dark side of the moon. Dark side of the moon. That's right. Um, the name of the song is "Brain Damage." Does right. Anybody think the dark side of the moon because the, one of the lyrics is "I'll see you on the dark side of the moon." Another one is. The lunatic is on the lawn. The lunatic is in your head. Uh, why do I bring that up? You might ask. <laughs> yeah, I do. You Paul. It, it seems to go back uh, a few years for us. This week is the 50th anniversary of the release of of, of that album. Of um, um, now, I can't remember the name of it. Um, Dark Side of the Moon. 
Dr. Sight of the Moon. Thank you. I, you know, they, they, they could have done me a favor and put the name of the album on the cover. So um, Dr. Sight of the Moon was the eighth album by Pink Floyd. I thought it was one of their earlier ones, released in 1973 on uh, March 1st. And uh, as of in 2013, Dark Side of the Moon had sold over 45 million copies worldwide, making it the best-selling album of the 70s and the third best-selling album all time. Uh, it's been certified 14 times platinum. Uh, it, uh, uh, it had charted on the Billboard charts for 972 weeks since it was released. By far, other than maybe Carol King and Tapestry, one of the most popular albums of all time i'm i'm gonna guess that john has a copy of this album i do have a copy of it but i do have to make a confession though the confession oh. is we have gotten rid of our lps and so oh. just actually we actually just gave those up a couple months back uh in the interest of making sure that we can keep uh <laughs> you know uh, more of an organized home if you will but yeah in fact uh in fact, I had two, I had two copies of that album, but uh, I can honestly say they they've been sold. And Paul, if you recall, uh, we were on a campus somewhere when that album came out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That was a uh, that was a big year, nineteen seventy three. Sure. Very, 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 uh, you know, revolutionary album. Yeah, it was kind uh, of like more thought provoking. You know, the seventies was all that thought provoking music, right? That we kind of grew yeah. up with. But, but that's and, again, yeah, for good, sure. Good word, thought provoking, because uh, the next, the next thing, this I have another 50th anniversary thing I want to talk about here. That's also thought provoking, but not in a musical sense, but in the technological sense. In 1973, uh, I was, I was already in the computer business back then, while I was, while I was in college, and that was back in the day that I'm really dating myself of punched cards, uh, tapes. You know, they you could see the old movies of tapes spinning. Sure. Sure, tape drives. Mm -hmm. 1973 was the year of the first cell phone. Uh, not, not a cell phone, but a um, mobile phone. I've got a picture of one here uh, just, to, just to show you. This is the inventor. <laughs> oh, His name wow. Is Martin Cooper. Martin Cooper in 1973 made wow. the first call on a handheld telephone. Now, for those of you who can't see it, he has a. I have a. Uh, uh, he's surrounded by some of those early phones, and we always used to say you, you were holding a brick because that's how big they are. They are the size of a brick, and then there's an antenna on top that's the size of a number two pencil. <laughs> wow! Right? Yeah. Right. Wow. I, I'm, uh, he, it weighed two and a half pounds, um, and uh, you know, so the first call he made was to his chiropractor because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember them being in cars. Uh, you used to have to give up the middle seat, but, but which I mean, you know, the, people don't know what a middle seat now is. <laughs> right. You're right. We're really dating ourselves here. But in 1973, cars had bench seats. There was a, there was no console, so you could put three people or you and your sweetie next to you in the front seat. <laughs> Unless you had these phones, and then you had this big suitcase with the phone inside of it, um, and and all and, and cables and all kind of stuff, it was unbelievable. Um, the uh, we should have them now, you know, because people would do less texting if they had to hold a two and a half pound brick in their arm and and say LOL and, and you know <laughs> you know you get tired of doing that. 
Uh, or or we'd be in great shape. We'd all have, you know, bulging biceps like Arnold Schwarzenegger. This this phone was, was 11 inches long, almost a foot long, um, which means it wasn't a, fli uh, a flip phone. It was more of a flip-flop phone being a foot long. Uh, sorry about that. The <laughs> But speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of footlong shoes, footlong phones, Maxwell Smart also had a footlong phone. The reason being, it was in his shoe. Yep. The, I remember um, those. I remember those episodes very well, Paul. That was a. In fact, they made a movie or two, I think, out of it. Right. It was in the sixties. Yes. Right. right. He had to take the sole off and and the heel in order. I think the heel folded down, and he had to take the sole off in order to dial the phone. <laughs> this is, this is this, these these phones. If you can't see them, these at least have push buttons. Poor Maxwell Smart had a um, a dial on the phone in his shoe, which is why he was called eighty six because it gave him eighty six blisters by the end of the. Uh... <laughs> there we go. Very good. Very good. Oh. So now this was this is 50 year old technology we're looking at we are now going to switch to the most modern phone you will ever see this phone just came out um it comes from china and it's I, I i'll put the picture up here while i describe it it is a remote kissing device oh. that allows oh you two people with cell phones to exchange kisses with each other around the world Attached to each cell phone is a is a <laughs> some sort of flexible mouth, very lifelike, wouldn't you say? And um, the couple, one one person on one side does the kissing, and the person on the other side does the receiving. Uh, all Bluetooth technology, all state of the art, available right now. Um, if if uh, if if Alexander Graham Bell and Mr. Watson were alive today. And Alexander Graham Bell pulled this out. Mr. Watson would say, I quit. No, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right about that, Paul. Wow. And Here it's bad en it's bad enough that the younger generation dates online. Now they're kissing online. That's right. That's right. And, and oh, well, my friends know uh, on Facebook, we, you know, the <laughs> lips on a phone. The, the the first thing you think of is kiss and then there's a list of about 20 other things you think of that you could be doing with this phone that i'm that unfortunately the fcc won't let us talk about <laughs> <laughs> or our personal dignity one or the other there you go uh, i although i thought i was trying to think of, could there be any other use for this and i was thinking maybe for restaurants you know like if if i wanted to know if the steaks were tough tonight I could I could actually use this phone and they could hold it up to a stake and I could find out how tough the steak was, or maybe if <laughs> um, <laughs> or or if I was trying to decide between hard hard uh, scoop ice cream or soft serve, they could hold it up to the cone and I could decide which one I want. Shows I take I I spend way too much time thinking about this kind of stuff. Yes, you uh, do. That's kind yeah. of a practical application you just talked about, Paul. That's kind of practical, though. I mean, really. <laughs> we missed the boat. We missed the boat on inventing this, but I think I think we could make some money selling mouthwash to go along with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so now here's a guy who can't use this phone, and you'll find out why. Uh, his name is Nick Storble. He's in. Um, I think he's in California. He holds the Guinness World Record for the world's longest tongue on, on a man, the world's longest male tongue. 
3.97 inches, just three hundredths of an inch shy of four inches long. Now, before I, I don't want to spoil the what he does. He he figured out how to make money with his tongue. And before you go thinking another dirty thought, um, he's he uses it to paint. Let's take a look at a photo here. So here he is. There's a picture of his four inch oh. long on the left and on the right. Very handsome young man. Um, he is uh, he has some plastic on his tongue and then he dipped his tongue in paint and he uses his tongue to paint uh, paintings on canvas. And oh he God. sells them, believe it or not, for up to twelve hundred dollars a painting. Wow. Yeah. There's yeah. a market for everything. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so of course he has to give himself a name. So he wanted to name himself after a famous painter. So he calls himself Licasso. Uh, no, that, that, that's your are point. You sure that's when he calls himself Paul, or are you saying? Wait a minute. Are you saying that's what he says, or is this your terminology for him? No, no, that's exactly his name. That's that's what he calls himself, Licasso. Really? He also he he holds the record for the hobby that inspired the most dirty jokes and and believe <laughs> I heard a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah, what else could he do? What what else could you do with a four inch long tongue, John? And keep it clean. Now keep I, it I don't in have... his mouth. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you know you're right, Karen. If I keeps him out of trouble, I was thinking taste tester for foot long hot dogs, but you know, <laughs> when I wrote that. I was thinking. Does anybody even eat foot-long hot dogs anymore? You know, that was a craze. I hate to be on a 50-year craze here. But when we were kids, it was unusual to get a foot-long hot dog. That was like a treat. I agree well, with you, Paul, 100%. What, that was a big deal. That didn't, was Coney, a big... I, didn't Coney Island in New York uh, introduce it? That was supposed to be like an attraction to come there? That's probably, yeah, I think probably right, Karen. That's yeah, I think so. Right, right. right. And, and I'll mention something else, too, that I remember, and that is that although, you know, you could you could get the footlong hot dogs out of the uh, the meat counter and they were always fresh. Uh, not too many people bought footlong buns. So it seemed like the buns were always stale. Right. So my last thought on this guy, he should be hired by dentists to train their dental hygienists because I can't think of anything worse any worse scenario for a dental hygienist than dealing with a guy with a four foot tongue, four inch tongue in his mouth. Yeah. No uh, kidding. Wow. How do you move that around? Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got a, we got an animal story. I'm going to take this guy down so we don't have to look at him here. So this story comes from New Mexico, uh, but it's about a llama and the llamas are not native to New Mexico. This was a, uh, a, a llama in one of those safari type parks. And this llama is the oldest living llama. I hold now the new Guinness World Record, 27 years old, 27 year old llama, which is I, I think probably about 10 years older than they than they live in the wild. Um, and this is true, this is true, this is not one of my silly jokes, that the, the llama's name is Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> And they, so they, so they did, they put it on a TV show, you know, and they interviewed the llama and they asked, what's your secret to living such a long life? And, and in a real gravelly voice, the llama says, I smoke cigarettes, uh, camels. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, well, yeah. camels every day that the llama smoked. And of course the llama, they asked the llama what, what his favorite song was. And uh, told me not night. 
you who uh, want to want to look that one up. Uh, okay, another musical animal for you. This one comes from England. Uh, free range Highland cows. These are they're really pretty looking cows. They they have bangs. Uh, they've been released in Alice Tree Park, which is in Derby City, and uh, so that they can run wild in the park. But they have to keep them under control. So they the the owners put a um, uh, like a collar on them, a musical collar. And uh, the collar would play music when it got too close to the edge of the park. So what kind of music would cows listen to, John and Karen? Any ideas? Um, no. <laughs> I'm trying to blank. Okay, I'll give you an easy one. Wooly Bully. The, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Sam sure. the Sham and the Pharaohs. Uh, Black Cow, which was... Um, Steely Dan. Steely Dan. There you go. And then, of course... <laughs> A, a new version of the Buddy Holly classic, Cattle Be the Day. Uh, also, no, that's not too bad. Wait a minute. I'm yeah. going to give you some praise on it. Well, that's not too bad. Okay. Okay. Oh, good. All right. So, so now that you egged me on, how about anything by Chuck Derry? Or, that is a reach. That's a sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about anything by Johnny Calf? That's no? all right. That's kind how of about right. Real Diamond. Uh, Veal, Veal Diamond. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> all right. So we we never talk about family situations here because uh, on the uh, on on what in the world because you know uh, it would just cause an argument. But this is a great story. This this is about two brothers in law, uh, from again from England. Their names are James Baker and John Darwin. They set a world record together. Together, these two guys pulled, each of them, a 1.6-ton van, a distance of, get ready for this, 32 miles in a 24-hour period. And each of them started at the same time and finished at the same time. How did they uh, do that? How was that possible? <laughs> no, that's, that's not possible. It's not, John, I, let me show you. A no, there's that tongue guy again. Here we go. <laughs> okay, so there they are. So okay. there they are. Wow. They're together. They're pulled. There's the there's the van. They've got a judge over there watching them. I see. Wearing some kind of harnesses. And uh, look like they're in pretty good shape, don't you think? I would say, yeah. yeah. Leaning forward. And in 24 hours, they walk, pulling those two vans, 32 miles. Um, what did they get for this effort? They got a certificate that said they pulled... <laughs> their van the longest distance <laughs> in 24 hours by an individual because it was there <laughs> <laughs> and that you know why they did it because why? neither of them wanted to admit that they were the ones who forgot to put gas in the van <laughs> that was that, that was their penance i guess wow yeah two brothers-in-law you know neither you know how rivalries are between brothers-in-law oh, um, yeah. so john you know mr sports guy could you do that yeah, but you know, for a very short distance. I mean, I would lose my interest. About, about four inches, the length of that guy's tongue. I think that's how far. <laughs> that's probably that's probably generous, actually. Yeah, I mean, in my thought process, it's like, why am I? Part is getting started. Well, you know, yeah, getting started is the first thing, but then even if you start to move the vehicle. Like, yeah. How much endurance and stamina do you have? Uh, I'm sorry. Exactly. And then what do you do when you got to when you got to stop, make a rest stop? I mean, oh, you have to that's even just forget the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
We can't. I got two more jokes. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I said, I get worn out pulling, you know, get pulling pork for a barbecue. So, uh, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to pull it in. And what were their wives doing? You know, they're, they're, two of these guys are married to sisters. You right. know what their wives do? Their wives were pulling too. They were pulling out the drawer looking for the life insurance policies because. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, there's always something involved with money. I can see that. You better believe it. You better believe it. I, I know the lovely Donna would not. Uh, be interested in me doing something like this yeah yeah okay so we're talking about strength here uh as strong as those guys are they're not as strong as insects we've talked about you know if an insect were human size how strong they would be and this is an example of it uh this is a relative of a cicada it's called a glassy winged sharpshooter and you'll find out why they're called sharpshooters in a second so they're about a half inch long and uh they feed on sap which is very thick. So what happens is, is they give, it gives them really thick urine. And that's exactly what this cicada is doing right here. But the, instead of a stream coming out, because the sap is so, so thick, it forms a hard ball at the end where, the, where it comes out. Um, and and they, they use their butts then to catapult this ball. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why, if they're trained to... to you know, knock other little flies out of the air or what. Uh, but this is an example of super propulsion. They said that that a, a human could not flick their butt and and, oh. <laughs> and do this. You know, I would think not. This is I one would... of those scientific studies that we just can't believe. Um, oh. So, so I mean, if you see Never yeah, saw a picture yeah. of that insect or never heard anything about it. That's kind of interesting. I know. I know. Well, you know, I, I can't pronounce the um, the scientific name for the for the insect, but they call them pea flickers, which I believe was a Tennessee Ernie Ford song, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're really rolling today. All wait, right. wait, John. John, I, I don't know. We saw this band, the pea flickers. They opened for Pooh Fighters. You remember that? Oh, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do not remember that. Must have, must have been in the days when I was not really uh, with it when I was at college. You were listening to Tennessee Ernie Ford singing about bless your little pea flicking heart. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, I'm going to take this down because I can't stand looking at it either. Yeah, man, I think we should we take them off too. Oh. Yeah. Okay, good. Along the same lines with animals, um, the according to a new study, snakes are not deaf. I don't know if you remember this. I remember this from biology class that when we when we learned about different animals, they said snakes didn't have ears, and they didn't even have little holes where their ears should be. So they 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 assumed that snakes uh, can't hear. Well, a new study found out that not only can snakes hear, but they can hear you scream. Uh, they just don't care. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, they like making you scream. You know, I snakes those, those kind of snakes, those boa constrictors, when they when they wrap themselves around you and they're squeezing, what they're thinking is, that, who's your adder? Who's your adder? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you're you're on a roll today. You are on a roll. <laughs> I think he's auditioning today. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. Dude, you get me afternoon and that's another story. Speaking of screaming snakes, John, we saw screaming snakes open for the turtles back in the 1970s. I, I'm convinced. Now, we saw the turtles, but I don't remember a screaming snake. Don't remember screaming snake, the opening uh, band? You're reaching no. that one, Paul. You're, you're, you're reaching that one. 
<laughs> okay, so this was this is this is one from Facebook here. Uh, this is a man in England celebrated his birthday, thirty sixth birthday. So normally, you know, you go out to dinner. So he decides to to equate his dinner with the number of years ears number of years he he is. So he ordered something at Burger King. He ordered a Whopper, uh, but not just any Whopper. Oh he no! Ordered, yeah, a thirty six patty Whopper. No way. Uh, Yes, he's Wait holding it right here. This is this is uh, this is the man. Um, I, I don't have his name. He's he's outside of Burger King in England. In England. Uh, okay, pennies. He's about to bite into it. Uh, Six thousand calorie Whopper. Wow. Uh, and, and and plus he had a bag of fries and a Coke, a Diet Coke. So oh, Diet you got to wash it down with something, and you have to go with fries. How can you not have your yeah. protein folded, right? Exactly. These people who who participate in these eating contests, it seems like they always wash it down with a diet drink for some reason. Yeah, uh, go figure that. Go, yeah. go figure the logic on that one. Wow. The word is that he finished the thirty six patties, and then he went to Dairy Queen, and he got a blizzard with thirty six tums whipped into it. Uh, uh, Oh my like, god! I don't, you know, the, I hope he was healthy after that. I hope he didn't get sick. No, I I want to know. I was looking at the wrapper, the because uh, that's not a normal Burger King wrapper. It looks no. like for the curtain off of the wall. <laughs> it? It, it looks like a curtain. You're exactly right, Paul. Wow! Yeah, it looks that's what it looks like. It's about the sign. So okay. so they Burger King. This particular Burger King. When they when they served it, they 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 changed their slogan from "Have it your way" to "No F and way." Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good hold one. The, hold the lettuce. Get a forklift from the back. We got to. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay, so John, I know I promised John some Bigfoot stories, so we've got two Bigfoot stories yeah, here. Yeah, forward. Let's see. Let's see him, Paul. Both from Utah. So the first one is, uh, but I didn't know that Bigfoot lived in in Utah. Uh, you know, I saw the Book of Mormon. I don't remember any any scenes of Bigfoot ringing doorbells in in Utah. But apparently, there big uh, Utah is a uh, Provo, Utah in particular, is a Bigfoot hotspot, and that's where this one comes from. So I'm going to put the picture up here for uh, for us to take a look at while I introduce you to it. In fact, John, why don't you look and see if you can find Bigfoot in that photo? So this you, is, you remember that you did send that to me before our show. So uh, <laughs> I do recall that, as of course it always is, the view is distant of the Bigfoot, and yeah. of course it is not a sharp or clear picture. Oh, don't worry, I have a magnified one for you. Okay, so, good. Yeah, let's let's improve this somehow. <laughs> so this is at the top of a mountain. Um, um, the uh, this came from the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Organization, taken February eighth, so just a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, this was at approximately nine thousand five hundred sixty feet on Francis Peak, and that Bigfoot was very near the peak, walking through deep snow. Um, the witness took a picture of it. Uh, actually, it's a video. If you if you if you Google it, you'll see the the video, and. Um, here is a, there you go. Now it's Zoom. So that looks Oh, much that's wonderful. Not. It's <laughs> <laughs> clear as mud, Paul. It's clear there as you, mud. He has a shadow. Okay. I got, I, I will say this much that it's not a fake because there is a shadow. Now it could be a tree, of course, but, but, and, and I sent this to John beforehand. So he can't argue with me on this, that, that something was walking across the screen, across that mountain. Was it not? 
I agree, Paul. Yes, I do agree. Uh, Karen and the audience, I do agree that something was moving, but as to if it was really a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, I'm not sure. I only see two footprints. Oh, wait a minute. That comes next. Oh, oh, um, oh, oh. Where, where are the footprints you see? Because <laughs> you've got much better vision than I do, Karen. If you can for see me, for that matter, well, I don't see up at the top. Up at the top of the screen, no. it looks like there could be two footprints. Karen, get a tissue and wipe your screen. I think there's. Some... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, okay, okay. Here, I've got some footprints for you. So, so anyway, so this this occurred in uh, early February. The Rocky Mountain um, Sasquatch guy said that th that he thought it was an amazing video, and they see a lot of these videos. So uh, someone else thought they posted it on the site, and someone who lives in this area, who has a drone with a camera, went to this location and and flew the drone over allegedly over this spot, and this is what they saw. So now there's a very clear image of a, a uh, row of what he said are large footprints uh, walking through the snow in what he said was uh, the same peak as that Bigfoot was seen. So, so John, I don't have a magnification of that. What do you, what do you think about those? Well, we talked about this a little bit before too, Paul, because I did see this one as well. It appears to me that a creature or someone made th those footprints. But again, it's all speculation. And because we don't have concrete evidence or proof that a Sasquatch or Bigfoot made those prints, I'm sorry, it's not convincing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we sent it to our friend Don down in Florida. And Don pointed out that there's a, a set of little footprints right next to the big. Oh, footprint. I didn't know this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like he's walking his dog or something. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you have a drone, you could have followed the footprints a little farther. This was pretty much the end of the, uh, of the cycle that, that, that he showed. So okay. one thing I want to note, note that, that they pointed out is that the, the, the prints are in a very straight line. It's, yeah. it's almost, yes. you know, it's almost like the Bigfoot was trying to prove that he wasn't drunk. Um, <laughs> he was walking, this, whatever made those prints, did it in a straight line. Very straight line. Of course, a bit, this is Utah, so the Bigfoot couldn't be drunk. Um, but anyways, <laughs> although, although if he was if he was drinking out of the Great Salt Lake, he might have high blood pressure. Mm. But, oh, I'm sure he would. <laughs> so there you go. There's our Bigfoot, our two Bigfoot uh, photos. Good. All right, Paul. Very good. If you guys want information on that on uh, Mysterious Universe about the, the Bigfoot video, then you can see the entire video there as well. Now, I also did an article on um, this mermaid. And I love mermaid stories. We talked about mermaids before, going way back to the beginnings of the show, Karen. Uh, and normally, uh, if you recall, the mermaids are evil. They're not the ones that sing and, and you know, look pretty like Daryl Hannah. Uh, they usually end up killing somebody. That's that's the reason why they made the news. Um, this is a, a news story about a mermaid mummy from Japan. And I'm going to show you a picture of this mermaid mummy. So oh. this is the mummy. Uh, now, this is from a temple, a temple in Japan. 
the the story about this mummy was that it was found it was caught by some fishermen sometime between 1736 and 1741 so close to 300 years ago um they they, they mummified it that it, it's uh, 30 centimeters long so it's 11.8 inches almost a foot long you can see for those of you who who um can see the photo you can see the tail at the bottom the tail's kind of folded in uh it has a face it looks like kind of looks like it's screaming um the the top looks like hands rather than fins so it's kind of the half bottom half fish top half mermaid kind of thing now you'll also notice where where the the human side and the fish side would have joined they have a kind of like a pillow over it where they have the rope to tie it down so you can't really see how they're joined together which is kind of suspicious um but anyway so it got passed from family to family it's like an heirloom you know hey come on over and see the mummified mermaid um uh, up until uh, the early 1900 when it ended up at this uh temple and um people come in and, and come to look at it they also come to pray to it there's the 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 monks at the temple have this story that it has, uh, you know, saved them from uh, plagues and things like that. And they even brought it out. This I, I remember doing this story during the during the COVID pandemic. They actually brought it out. They normally keep it locked up. They brought it out so people could see it and pray that for for the mermaid's help to um, end the pandemic, which obviously didn't work. So um, the monks finally gave permission to scientists to do a DNA analysis on this mummy. And um, the um, the answer is that it's it's not a mermaid. <laughs> what is but it? What, what people thought was that it was like a monkey, the top of a monkey and the bottom of a fish. Turns out that the top was actually like paper mache. Uh, oh. It was made from, oh no. Yeah, yeah, it was sculpted. It's part cotton plaster and gypsum which which stuck it together the skin is laminated paper then they stuck scales on it and uh animal uh hair there's the animal hair glued to the uh, head and in the eye eye sockets of all places the nails were made from animal bones they filled it with cloth paper and cotton there's no wood in it uh, there's some metal supports inside of it, metal pins. No chemicals were used, so it wasn't a taxidermied project. Uh, it was they don't know how it was mummified, uh, but it was. <laughs> but the 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 report I read the summary of the report, and they said it was in decent condition except for some worm and insect damage. Which, by the way, it's the same thing that my lovely wife says about me. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so the disappointing so the, the the people who are most disappointed obviously are the monks because now their magic mermaid isn't isn't a magic mermaid anymore so they got to come up with something new to uh to attract tourists wow uh, yeah now i <laughs> my suggestion and this this is i did i'm not making this up this is a true story um i heard this in colorado there's a couple of bars. There's one in Alaska, and I think there's one in Colorado that serves a um, a severed toe cocktail, and basically it's a or a pickled toe cocktail. Basically, the 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 legend is that one of the bar owners or some or some patron got into a fight and lost their toe, so they pickled it and they put it in a jar. And one night, 
you know, there was a big bar bet. And somebody says, hey, I bet you wouldn't drink a beer with a pickle in it, with the pickle toe in it. And of course, you know, it's a bar. So uh, they did. And since then, you could actually order the pickle toe cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the rule was that you had you could you could drink it as slowly or as fast as you want. But at, at some point, the toe had to touch your lips. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. No, thanks. No, thanks. That's a fun fact to know, Paul. That's about that's about it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2013, the one in, in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, somebody swallowed the toe. He got too, so excited about it that he swallowed the toe. And uh, they ran him out of town because it, it killed the, the the town's attraction and the bar's attraction. Um, but apparently they must have forgiven him. So uh, maybe he's anyway, back. Maybe he's back. Uh, I think I think we're gonna call it the day on the weird news stories. I I, I, I tell you, I want to show this picture. This this and and then we'll move on to sports with John. So because uh, this is kind of sportish here. So this comes from Sweden. So the, the Swedish um, company, that fashion company that makes fashion for motorcycle riders, it's called MoCycle. They've developed a pair of jeans. They cost $500, but but it's worth it because here's a photo of them. Oh, oh there's the, there's the, uh, the the mummy. So so you can see she's a foot long. Um, she'd fit in the bun. The uh, yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> so so oh. here's the jeans now the jeans on the left are normal the jeans on the right are inflated these are for motorcycle riders there's a gauge on the on the jeans somehow that if the pants start to feel that you're falling off the motorcycle there's a there's a carbon dioxide canister in the pants and they immediately inflate so you can see this in this photo uh, the inflated jeans, the thighs are the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger's thighs and the butt uh, to protect the, the the motorcycle riders, you know, most valuable parts, I guess, other than their head from uh, from damage when they fall off the bike. So yep. it's like having an airbag. So it's like having an airbag in your pants. Right, right, yep. right. Wow. Yeah, which I, you know, might feel pretty good. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think, I think, you know, I can't imagine a hell's angel wearing these unless they went. Just, it just wouldn't go. It just, it just, Paul and Karen and the audience, it just wouldn't go, obviously. No. <laughs> Although, you, you know, it, it would be great for picking a fight. What'd you say about my pants? You know, something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I sure. think for they could, they could charge even more. If the if the pant would make a farting sound when they were inflating, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my lord, that would do it. Anyway, that's a good now. That now we got a good place to to end up here with the inflatable pants. Okay. Only what in the world do you hear about inflatable pants? And strange <laughs> sports, which is our lead into John Danilo and what in the world of sports. So every week, my old buddy John, we go back, we go back well over fifty years to our college days. Um, he was a sports nut back then. He's a sports nut today. He knows all kind of uh, stuff about sports. So I always ask him, John, come up with a weird sport for what in the world of sports. And every week he does. Um, I ask him to find some sports that we could participate in. And more, more often than not, we would run in the opposite direction. But not this time. <laughs> That's right, Paul. That's right. So, John, why don't you explain our sport while I line up your photos for you? Oh, thanks for the introduction, Paul. Will do for sure. So it's March, and 
as we all know, March is the month of, for college basketball, March Madness. That's it's right. Also, it's also a month where a professional sport of basketball, men and women, are, are being played. And what is interesting is I uncovered, I uncovered a sport that is a type of basketball, but it's walking basketball. Walking basketball. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me clarify this. I'm not talking about the rule violation of walking or traveling, you know, when someone is trying to dribble the ball. Right. But it's an actual organized sport. And as we all know on this show, it is no surprise to what in the world sports fans that this unusual sport got its start in England. Oh, of course. Now, walking basketball delivers a walking paced version of the fast and furious game that we all are used to. Okay. Good news about walking basketball is that it is suitable for everyone, irrespective of their gender, their age, their size, their abilities or impairments. Oh, wow. So we have some senior citizens here in this photo. Uh, but they look like they're just uh, dribbling. So tell us more right, about yeah, what Sure, sure, sure. So anyways, so how it originated, it originates in England in 2013. And now, fast forward, the sport finds itself with several groups of organized teams throughout England, Australia, and has attracted interest from also Scotland, Wales, and America. Wow. Oh, of course. Good. Now, the, per- the person who was credited with forming this game is a gent by the name of Mike Bushell. Bushell had the support of the BBC Ooh. and introduced the sport in an arena g- named Guilford Spectrum in England. The video went viral, walking viral, so to speak, and the rest <laughs> of history. Yeah, well, so, right. right. But <laughs> there is some humor here. Uh, walking basketball is run and administered in England by a group of individuals called the starting five. Oh, okay. Yeah. And of course, typically teams, basketball teams are comprised of five players. Right. right. So starting five is, you you get the name, but it looks like we got to get, there's a, we have a photo of a game going on right here. Right. uh, There it is. About five people on each side. That's right. That's right. Now, it's a sport for everyone. So unlike our usual sport week to week that we cannot participate in, we can participate in this sport if we choose. Now, the people that participate in this sport are people over the age of 40, over 50, and even over 60 that are looking to maintain some level of physical fitness and activity. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's another group of people. It's co-ed too. Yeah. It looks well, like it is co-ed. Yes. Yeah, different size people, people, different different age groups, all playing together, all walking around the court. That's exactly right. Now, shooting. There's also a group of people that can play that need to lose weight. Okay. Yeah. So you can be out there. Also, uh, mothers who are getting into shape after pregnancy. So, oh, there you go. yeah, you know, I don't know if you'd want to play 
if you want to be walking down the court with what looks like a basketball under your shirt while you're playing basketball. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that would go. I don't think that would go, Paul. And then, and then there's another group of people actually that could benefit from this. And these are people that are uh, participating after having surgery uh, or having a, uh, uh, you know, rehabilitation, you know, for impairment or some type of, uh, you know, physical challenge. Now, usually the competition is an hour in duration and the sessions are actually led by a certified coach. So there is a coach that oversees this activity. He's not a referee. He's a coach, actually. Okay. And uh, you'll have these various steps in the competition. The first is there's a warm-up period. Then there's the actual skill session, which can take different shapes, shooting shots from different parts of the court and different types of shots taken and what have you. And then yeah. after, after that, then there's a warm down. So there's an actual process that's in place here with, well, with this like practice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Now. So walking basketball games are 30 minutes in length. Okay. With normal basketball rules. Yeah. Except <laughs> there's no running. No running. Okay. There's no running. And on top of it, there's no scorekeeping. Oh, well, that's no fun. Well, now, wait a second. Wait a second. In other words, there is no running a betting line also. Oh. This is, now, wait a second. In its purest form, walking basketball is true human competition. Think of that. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, walking basketball currently is growing in popularity in throughout the United Kingdom and Australia, as I mentioned. It's only a matter of time before it gets bigger in the U.S. Yeah. And, of course, if that happens, we're going to have scoring because oh. that's what Americans do. Of course. We're sure. always going to score. What? You have to and, yell uh, USA. Why would you yell USA, USA if nobody was scoring? Well, so. you yeah, you got to be measured somehow, right? Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to be, again, scoring, so to speak. Okay, you know, now, down here. I want to I want to point out before John goes any further. Um, there, there are videos of this game on uh, on the internet, and um, if, if you're interested, that you if you can do a fast walk, you can also jump. So jumping is allowed. It's just running that's not allowed. That so is you correct. Can, that is right, Paul. Yes, yes. Okay, and in okay, closing, so it's in the United States. Good idea. I think the, okay. this, so. I so you you may have heard it here first on what in the world oh. about this sport. Just kind of remember where it came from. And in closing, LeBron James, if you are watching or if you're listening, oh, uh, while you're rehabbing your injured foot, you are welcome to join our walking basketball team. Ooh. Absolutely. Right. The what in the world walking basketball team, WIT. I don't think that he would hurt himself. I mean, he, yeah. Well, it, it fits the purpose or serves the purpose of a group of people or a person that yeah. is rehabbing, right? It's rehabbing. So, oh, right. Yeah. 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 Come on. Come on back. You know, we take him on. You know, he, he might have to start out at second string, but. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, you have to earn your stripes, you know, even even LeBron James has to earn his stripes. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, Very good. 
All right, walking basketball. What a great sport, John. Thank you so much Thank for that. Thank you. But, uh, you know, I, I thought I, I had never heard of that, but, uh, and, and really I hadn't. But, you know, back in our college days, John, I think you, you may remember, we tried to come up with some different versions of basketball. Uh, <laughs> we came up with a lot of versions of a lot of different things then, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we did. That's right. You know, we, we, we got worn out. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to take it easy. So I found a couple of a couple of photos of of the different kinds of basketball that we came up with that that never made it. Um, one of them was uh, was this one here, piggyback basketball, where um, you know one player got to rest while the other one carried uh, carried him around. That didn't really that's catch. That's a lot of effort, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then we came up with this one for for guys who couldn't dunk, and that was ladder basketball. Uh, oh, John, yeah. John appreciated this one. I, 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 I'm not sure that John could could uh, slam dunk. So, no, in fact, be, no, <laughs> you know that'd be probably the one way I could get my arms over the hoop. There you go. That's right. The yeah. hardest part here was moving the ladder back and forth, up and down. <laughs> that wore us out. That's right. So, so, <laughs> so I came up with a different version that we could all play, and that was Zen basketball. And you basically just imagine that you're playing basketball while you lay down on the court. Looks like uh, fun. It looks like fun to me. <laughs> so anyways, what in the world of walking basketball with John Danilo? John, great sport for us. Good job. Oh, thanks. Something that we could participate in. So Yes, we can. So all of you who um, uh, are listening, you know that uh, if if we're at the end of what in the world of sports, that means it's time for Bluff the Co-host, everybody's favorite weird news game. Uh, easy to play. I have three stories similar to the ones that we've been uh, talking about all afternoon or morning. One difference, and that is that those stories are all real. These stories in Bluff the Co-host may be real. They may be a bluff, and it's up to you. Uh, John and Karen to decide what they are. Uh, wagering is allowed in uh, in Ohio, so place your bets. John and Karen, put your hands on the buzzer. Let's get right to uh, the first of our stories. Story number one. You may call it Evu, but baristas in Italy are calling extra virgin olive oil the hottest new thing to put in your coffee. It doesn't blend in like cream. And it doesn't sweeten it like sugar. But Starbucks says Italians can't get enough of a grande with a shot of olive oil. The idea came from the popularity of adding olive oil to alcoholic drinks. But the baristas weren't sure their customers would like having an oil slick on their coffee instead of a flower or another one of those fancy designs. It turns out the Evocino is sliding up the menu board and could be Starbucks' hottest innovation since Lids. Okay, so story from Italy that the coffee shops there have a new sensation, olive oil in your coffee. Real or bluff? What do you say, Karen? Um, so olive oil seems to be, you know, the thing to use, but I can't imagine it in coffee. Um, I think this is a bluff and I'm going to congratulate you on a good story. Oh, okay. All right. So you wouldn't need, you would need to drink a cup of coffee with a blob. No, of oil no. On the top. All right. How about you, John? Mr. You know, half Italian here. This, this sounds like it's right up your alley. Well, I'll tell you what, I was raised in an Italian household, obviously. Yeah. And for us, olive oil was something that we had all the time. 
And oh, to me, I remember you rubbing it on your head, hoping that you'd never well, lose. You your know, head. yeah, we we talked about that. You know, <laughs> but but, so but in, in re- I'm sorry. No, 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 no. But in reality, though, because my grandparents they would cook with olive oil. My you know, my mom did, you know, she learned how to cook Italian, right? My dad was a big proponent of olive oil with salad and all that other stuff. Right. So I'm going to say, if it's in Italy, I'm going to say it's real. Okay. Did you, so since you said all that, did you ever see anyone put olive oil in coffee? I can honestly say no. No. How about, how about in booze? Like a, a an olive oil shot in a beard. Well, you- well, unless you had just too much, if you had too much anisette, Okay, or if you had if you had too much wine, you know, yeah. you can't be responsible for your actions. You know, it's a liquid, right? <laughs> a liquid, you know, you could be going with that. But uh, of course, yeah. of course, of uh, course. Yeah. Okay. So John says, all right, John says olive oil in coffee is real. Karen says it's a bluff. Let's check with the judges. And the judges say, wow, congratulations, John. You know, maybe we should only give you a half a point because you're Italian. But that is a true story. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah, from Starbucks. Okay, so score is one to nothing with John in the lead. Oh, don't get don't get a big head, John. Okay, I won't. <laughs> Let's get right to story number two. <clears throat> the world's ugliest dog contest in California has been around for decades and is starting to get a little old. So the state fair that hosts it is adding a new feature for Easter, the world's ugliest rabbit competition. While bunnies are cute, the organizers are finding that the looks of some adult hairs can be downright hair-raising. So they're hoping the ugly hoppers will bring more visitors to the fair. The ugly looks must be natural. Photos of the ugly rabbits as bunnies or certificates from their vet are required. Judging will be based on looks only. The rabbits don't have to hop or wiggle their ears. All they ask is that the fair visitors not feed the rabbit because that really bugs the bunnies. Not oh. oh. <laughs> okay, the world's ugliest rabbit competition from California. What do you say, John? Real or bluff? You know, I'm going to say this is a bluff, Paul, because and maybe I have limited experience or limited exposure to rabbits or to bunnies or whatever. They're always they're always cute. I've never seen a bunny or a rabbit that's like ugly or deformed or anything like that. And uh, I just think this is a reach. I'm going to say that that's not a true story. At least I'm hoping it's not true. Okay, so John's a John's a fan of good looking Bugs Bunny. So he says, "How about you, Karen?" You know, I have to agree with John. Um, I've never seen an ugly rabbit. And my father raised rabbits, and there was never an ugly one ever in the bunch. Uh, Problem is, if you leave baby rabbits with their mother, she eats them. Uh, Then they become ugly. So (laughs) I I would think so. I would think so. That one with us. So um, I'm going to say this is a bluff. Okay, so Karen says uh, ugly rabbit contest is a bluff. John says ugly rabbit contest is a bluff. Karen has personal experience with raising rabbits. So let's check with the judges. And the judges say, both of you are right. That is a bluff. Wow. All right. Very good. Very good. It's an ugly rabbit or an ugly rabbit contest. Okay. Well, that means John's still in the lead. uh, But Karen can pull up ahead since points are doubled in round number three. So let's get right to it. John, be ready. Okay. You have two two in a row here. You could could go get a perfect score. 
Wow. Not to put pressure on you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Story number three, proving that some people have too much time on their hand and not much common sense. Some retired track and field athletes in New Zealand are hoping to introduce the world to a new extreme sport, javelin catching. What was once an old joke became an idea at a school reunion, and the old teammates decided to take a scientific approach to the new activity. They started with non-pointed javelins and short distances, but quickly found that catching a real javelin on the fly is not much harder than catching a frisbee. The sport isn't ready for the Olympics just yet, but they plan to put on javelin catching demonstrations at track meets in the upcoming season. Okay, so a couple of track and field athletes in New Zealand demonstrating that you really can catch a javelin. What do you say, Karen? Real or bluff? I don't know what a javelin is actually made of. Um, <laughs> That's a good it would be safe to catch, but I'm going to say it's true. Okay, Karen says javelin catching is not an old joke. It's true. John, how about you? What are javelins made of? Are they, are they metal? I think they're metal. You know, I think I've seen them metal, and I think they've seen them like some kind of plastic or some kind of polymeric material. But I'm going to agree with Karen. I think it's true because I can see athletes, competitors, you know, on a dare. I can catch that. I can do that, right? And maybe would harm themselves. But still, to me, I think people would, would, be, would be doing that. So, yeah, I'm going to say it's true also. Okay. Maybe would harm themselves. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't want to catch one. I don't think you want to. I mean, let's put it this way. They end with a point, obviously, right? You don't want oh, to. Oh, oh, I was waiting for that. Okay. Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, come on now. Power suggestion. You know that. Javelin catching as a sport in New Zealand. John and Karen both say that's a real story. Let's check with the judges. And the judges say it's a real joke. There's no such thing as javelin. Uh, okay. Well, you fooled us on that one. I, I checked okay. to make sure. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, we want to just make sure you verify your sources on that, Paul. Not yes, to, absolutely. Not there to, you go. That's right. Yeah, so, not, to, not to trust your truthfulness, but, you know, just check. Here's it. another sport we can start, javelin catching in the U.S. There we uh, go. All right. John, you go first. Uh, on, that, on that note. <laughs> You'll be right behind me. Very good. Yeah. There you go. We've come to the end of another edition of What in the World? Uh, with me, Paul Sieburn, your host, I want to thank everybody out there uh, for, for tuning in, whether you're listening live, listening to us in the future, watching us on YouTube, whatever, however it is you are participating, we want to thank you for doing that. that uh, you're the reason why we do the show. I want to thank especially a lot of people who contacted me this week because we had to delay in the schedule. So it's really cool, and, and we do appreciate you letting us know that, that, that you're out there and, uh, and you're fans of the show. Uh, as always, I'll thank my, my co-host and producer, Karen Hale. Thanks so much, Karen, for everything you do for us. Go visit nuclearradio.net, find out how to download us and also all the other great podcasts that Karen had. And as always, last but not least, my good friend, John Dinalo. John, thanks again for a great sport, for all your trivia info and, uh, for being a good guy and being here with us every week. So, uh, we will see you again next week, right? Oh, for sure. Thanks, Paul and Karen. And everyone have a good weekend. That's right. Have we will be back on Tuesday next week. So uh, mark your we calendar, will. but don't use we ink just in case. <laughs> and, you know, for those of you who are looking to do something really special on Saturday night, okay, oh. I have the 
best evening for you. That is go to ESPN plus, and I think it's eight o'clock. I can post it on Facebook because the Panther city lacrosse men's lacrosse team oh. is vying for the playoffs. So wow. go Panther city. All yeah. right. Great. Local team, right? Yeah. No, they're yeah. not local. They're no, local they're to, to Texas. They're in oh, Fort okay. Worth, Texas. So oh, it's a professional team. Yeah. Professional team. Professional so. lacrosse. Yeah. If you've never seen that, it's it's uh it's a, a level above what you see in high school. So it it is it is amazing. So and of Ooh. course I'm only talking about it because my son works for them. So hey, it's <laughs> <laughs> a good plug. It's a good plug. Support your local businesses and your local relatives as well. So, <laughs> so to everybody else out.